Global Business News 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. I'm Doug Krisner in New York, 47 past the hour now. Let's get you caught up on market action. We're seeing a higher stock prices today. Financials out in front of this advance. After the bell today, the Fed is going to announce uh, results from the uh, second part of its annual stress test. This is going to determine whether or not banks can distribute cash vis-a-vis dividends to shareholders and maybe even use some money to buy back stock. Computer-related shares recovering, too, and that's helped to push the NASDAQ composite back above its 50-day moving average. It broke below that level yesterday when a number of Fed officials questioned equity valuations. Uh, the NASDAQ composite up 1.3% right now. S&P 500 up 9 tenths of 1%. The Dow is ahead 7 tenths of 1%. We also have the ECB kind of dialing back from those remarks made yesterday by President Mario Draghi. Kind of jolted markets by saying deflationary forces have been replaced by reflationary ones. Well, they clarified those uh, words today basically saying, or at least telling us that what was perceived to be hawkish was really meant to strike a balance between recognizing the strength of the eurozone and warning that monetary support is still needed. We also had uh, BOE chief Mark Carney saying, hey, the BOE may need to begin considering raising interest rates soon. Right now, the U.S. 10-year Treasury at a yield of 2.21 percent. Crude oil higher by about one and a quarter percent right now, trading 44.78 on WTI. Let's get back to Bloomberg Markets. Keller, Keller, I want to go. Yeah, you know, Carol Oliver. Just say back to whomever. Back to whomever. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Doug Krisner, thank you so much. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets. It is 1148 in the Bay Area, 248 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Megan McCardle, a columnist for Bloomberg View. How frightened should we be by the prospect of Amazon merging with Whole Foods? Does this herald the smashing of yet another market until Main Street is empty and all of us are forced to rent air from the Bezos monopoly? Anything's possible, but I'd bet against it. Yes, Amazon's been trying to move into groceries for quite some time, and buying Whole Foods will considerably help them. But it's worth noting that the reason Amazon can acquire Whole Foods is the grocery business is a rough industry to be in right now, with ferocious competition and razor-thin margins. And Amazon will have a tough time realizing the kinds of economies of scale that have allowed it to disrupt other markets. Groceries have to be warehoused very close to the consumer and handled very carefully. And unlike books or computer cables, they spoil. Without careful expert inventory management, it's easy for those thin margins to run into the red. Even if they succeed, they'll have another problem. When businesses get too powerful, the government generally steps in to disrupt them. So while Amazon may stay in the grocery business, it's probably safe to bet that so will your local store. I'm Megan McCardle, a columnist for Bloomberg View. For more commentary, go to BloombergView.com or view Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard every weekday at this time, also at 548 a.m., 848 a.m., and 1148 a.m. Wall Street time right here on Bloomberg Radio. Right, feeling sick as a dog. Uh, we'll find out the effects of healthcare and sickness and all that, hopefully pretty soon as we get to those decisions in D.C. But in the meantime, let's figure out how investors can navigate uh, the uh, changing landscape for healthcare. We're joined by Les Funtleiter. He's a healthcare portfolio manager at E-Squared Capital Management here in New York. Uh, Les, there's obviously a lot to pour over here as we continue to figure out what exactly this new uh, healthcare plan is going to look like. As an investor, what are some of the most important points for you, I guess, that uh, are going to determine whether or not you want to be in insurance companies, biotech companies, stuff like this? 
Well, I'd say um, to, to, at the highest level, uh, demographics is destiny in the, in the case of healthcare. So I don't mean to diminish the impact of uh, Obamacare or Trump Care or whatever we're calling this, uh, but I think uh, healthcare is going to be a pretty good place to be, uh, sort of regardless. Um, th- what happens is the details kind of shift our thoughts and capital allocation a little bit. So far, I have to say that it seems that the status quo is going to be the prevailing element here for a, a little while longer, just because it doesn't seem like they can get their acts together down in Washington. All right. So that means what, less? What's good for Americans, rehealth care, legislation and policy? What's the connection between that and what's good for investors in terms of investing in health care? Well, somebody needs to manage costs. So um, at least initially, we'll put aside the individual market and the Medicaid market because that's where there's some uncertainty. But yeah. in general, uh, healthcare costs have been under control other than where we've seen in the individual market. So managed care companies, uh, you know, like United Health, uh, which is why it's done so well this year, uh, are well positioned. Um, you know, in terms of what may happen, um, Assuming uh, that there is some Republican effort in um, health care, companies like Health Equity, which specializes in health savings accounts, uh, Cotivity, which handles many of the back office functions of uh, the claims processing, um, they should uh, do okay, too. Uh, and then there are private companies like, um, for example, Health Engine up in Chicago, which does price transparency. I think most of the senators, both Democrat and Republican, have said, gee, we could surely use more uh, transparency on what things cost and ultimately the outcomes of uh, procedures and hospital stays. So it's almost inevitable that companies who, you know, fix some of the economic externalities are going to do well. Do- again, doesn't really matter um, which health plan succeeds. Let's, let's just pull apart, though, one, if we can, Oliver. I just want, mm-hmm. Health equity you mentioned, uh, not a name that we talk about, I feel like, on a daily basis, that's for sure, up 26% this year. It's a $3 billion market cap. It's got a forward-looking PE of about 79. No debt, and it's growing revenues, at least forecast to for this year, what is it, about like 35%, growing earnings 54%. These are pretty impressive. Right. Well, you know, it's it's an element that I think both Democrats and Republicans can agree on. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> um, deductibles are going up. Uh, it's a sort of inevitable, and uh, health savings accounts are one way um, to deal with those. And um, there are other sort of tax advantage reasons to do that, but more and more people are going to the high deductible plans with an associated uh, health savings account. And so health equity is the leader and um, doesn't seem – there are some other players there, but I think there's room enough for everyone given just not just the growth of the class, but the growth of assets too within the class. Liz, I wonder as, a, uh, as an investor, when you are trying to figure out where you want to put your money as a result of these types of changes in DC, um, how uh, how do you sort of parse through the uh, the fundamentals of what's changing from policy and how it's going to affect these companies? I just I think an analogous situation I guess would be with financial stocks and Trump post-election. Uh, they rallied and the logic was pretty straightforward, fewer regulations, and I don't think it's quite as much to get bogged down in. But healthcare seems like it's very hard to find out what exactly is going to trickle down into what companies. 
Oh, that is true. Um, but there's usually not a, a lot of noise. I will say this. Even with um, Obamacare, uh, if you remember back in 2008, 2009, there was a lot of concern, and investors have this tendency to price in the worst case when there's regulation, and then when there's deregulation, they tend to price in the best case. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we are uh, not quite there for the best case with uh, Trump, so I think that's good. I, I, one of the things, at least on the drug side, uh, seems to be going for the, to the wayside about drug pricing. Uh, that, that there doesn't seem to be any grand plan there, other than maybe in some of the generic areas. So um, I think that's been a switch, and why you've seen those do well. There's a significant lag between the time anything is proposed and the time things go into effect. Right. So when you see a big dislocation in the short run, it means it's probably an overreaction, probably, but this is generalization. There are always exceptions. Uh, and anyway, it would appear yeah. that even if this plan passes, nothing is going to actually have a fundamental impact until 2020, 2021. So we, we have yeah. a long, long-term horizon, Carol. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and to be fair, full transparency, E-squared owns shares of Humana and United Health Group, among some others. Less fun lighter. Uh, healthcare portfolio manager been watching this sector for a long time at E-squared Capital Management on the phone in New York City. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio.